Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Tech Meme Ride Home for Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. I'm Brian McCullough. Today, it looks like Washington is serious about going after big tech in a big way. Firefox blocks cookies. Why are developers trepidatious about that sign-in with Apple scheme? And why it's time we really need to talk about the YouTube recommendation algorithm. Here's what you missed today in the world of tech. While the whole WWDC thing was happening yesterday, man, was there some news happening on the regulate the tech companies front. First, news dropped that the FTC had secured the rights to begin an antitrust probe of Facebook, seemingly a part of that whole divvying up the regulatory business with the DOJ that we talked about yesterday. Then, news hit that the DOJ had secured jurisdiction to probe Apple. So, in the last few days, rumors have it that between them, the FTC and DOJ might be preparing inquiries into Apple, Google, Facebook, and Amazon. Now, there's no guarantee that anything will come of this. It's just that both of these regulatory bodies seem to be getting their ducks in a row to do something. All of the companies I just mentioned saw their stocks hit significantly yesterday. At one point yesterday... $137 billion had been wiped off the market values of the so-called FANG stocks. And then lawmakers in the U.S. House of Representatives announced a sweeping antitrust investigation of big tech that will touch all of the just-mentioned companies and could lead to, you know, CEO testimony, depositions, more. Quote, the probe announced Monday by Representative David Sicilene of Rhode Island, the leader of the House's top antitrust subcommittee, is expected to be far-reaching and comes at a moment when Democrats and Republicans find themselves in rare alignment on the idea that the tech industry has been too unregulated for too long. The sentiment spurred a sharp sell-off in tech stocks to start the week. Sicilene said the investigation won't target one specific tech company, but rather focus on the broad belief that the, quote, internet is broken, he told reporters. In doing so, he pointed out problematic practices at tech giants such as Google, which has faced sanctions in Europe for prioritizing its own services and search returns over those of its rivals, and Facebook, which Sicilene criticized for acquiring competitors or copying their services to ensure its continued dominance in social networking, end quote. So, Generally, color me skeptical that the House probe will lead to anything more than good photo ops for politicians. But at the same time, it is worth underlining again that this is bipartisan. Both Republicans and Democrats in the House have come out in support of this investigation. Stop and think about that, people. In this day and age, what other thing that you can think of has Democratic and Republican politicians on the same side of the issue. That alone should worry Silicon Valley. At the very least, it is going to make for some bad press and photo ops and sound bites and Tim Cook and Larry Page and Mark Zuckerberg and Jeff Bezos all being forced to answer 
occasionally tough questions from grandstanding congressmen. But, and I have to admit I've changed my thinking on this in just the last few days, it should worry Silicon Valley more that the regulators, the agencies, the FTC and DOJ seem to be willing to do serious probes as well. When this first started rumbling over the weekend, it looked to me like maybe a company or two might be singled out for some wrist slapping. But now it feels like it's snowballing. Now it looks like the targets have been divvied up and somebody wants to go after everybody. You add the congressional probe on top of this, and now I think this is very real and serious indeed. Someone in tech is going to have to give up a pound of flesh And now it looks like that someone could be everyone in tech. Let's go ahead and talk about some of the aftermath from yesterday. You might have gotten the sense that Chris Higgins is more of a true blue developer than I'll ever be. So actually this morning I asked him on our Slack channel for his overall impressions of yesterday's event. And here's what he said. This was Christmas for developers, and people got like 98% of what they asked for. They got ponies they didn't even ask for. The Mac Pro is vastly more sane than anybody could have hoped for. We were genuinely expecting something too cute or clever. What we really wanted was a super overspec PC tower, and we got it. Overall, this is Apple roaring back and saying, can't innovate anymore, my ass, without having to say it, because it's so obvious. Same with software. The Swift UI thing is bananas, and you can expect an entire class of new developers to come to Apple just to use that thing, end quote. A lot of the chatter overnight was about that whole sign-in with Apple thing. On the one hand, it's clearly taking a swipe at Google and Facebook and the whole surveillance capitalism business model. No one will ever even know your real email address. Some people even wrote about how this proves that Apple is serious about transforming into a privacy-as-a-service company. But at the same time, lots of people noticed that Apple is making sign-in support mandatory if you use any third-party sign-in systems at all, which seems like a huge power grab at an interesting time. Walt Mossberg tweeted, I can't see how Apple can make anything mandatory across the web, but the ad tech industry is a toxic spill that has polluted the entire web and app business. It is the cause of the rampant surveillance online. It should be exterminated. Not ads, but ad tech. So I'm for this, end quote. To which Casey Newton replied, even if it's just required on iOS apps, that could have huge ramifications and seems like a strange time to launch a feature dependent on the App Store monopoly at a time of dawning antitrust regulation, end quote. To which Walt responded, yep, it may be a risky time. I believe they are going to full out war against the ad tech mafia step by step, maybe even aiming to become a single sign-in hub for TV, sites, etc. That would give them power, but assuming they stick with their privacy approach, not direct money, end quote. Owen Williams wrote in his newsletter this morning, It's wild that Apple is willing to so brazenly force such a move and impressive that it's willing to go so far for privacy. But if the feature is so compelling and users desire this level of privacy, it should make its sign-in service compete on its own merit as every other system has in the past. I love that the company is pushing back on Facebook and Google sign-in becoming standard, but 
Something about a trillion-dollar company wielding its platform to force adoption sits so uncomfortably for me. And the reality is that even if it's being obscured, Apple just wants to be your identity provider instead, end quote. Few other odds and ends. I don't know if Chris mentioned this, but limited mouse and cursor support is coming to the iPad. Developer Steve Troughton-Smith discovered this as soon as he got his hands on the developer beta and he posted a video. Quoting Engadget, at least for the time being, mouse support is available as an assistive touch accessibility feature. It's not clear yet whether the OS supports Bluetooth mice, though there seems to be a Bluetooth devices section in the pointing devices settings. The cursor looks like a large circle in Trouton Smith's video, but there's a menu for cursor options in the clip too, end quote. And there were plenty of obituaries written for iTunes, which is finally being broken up into its constituent parts, finally killing the bloated Frankenstein monster that it became, though it should be noted... Not if you're on Windows. If you're on Windows, you're still going to have to wrestle with the iTunes monster with all its tacked-on body parts. Still, as Wired noted, Apple has essentially killed iTunes. Quote, In its earliest iteration, iTunes revolutionized how and where people could access music. Its later bloat tells the story of how digitization ate the world. And in the negative space of its obsolescence, you can see a fourth age take hold in which streaming reigns. iTunes is dead. Fine. Good riddance. But farewell, and thanks, end quote. And finally, that Mac Pro, which gave everyone everything they hoped for, PCI slots, so many ports, not some sphere or pyramid or some other dumb design, but how much would it cost you if you absolutely souped this bad boy up to the gills with top-of-the-line everything? Well, The Verge thinks you'd be looking at at least $35,000, give or take. Quote, and that's before factoring in the four GPUs, which could easily jack that price up to around $45,000. For all that dough, big-budget video editors and other creative types get a lot of firepower, a 28-core Intel Xeon W processor, an almost impossible-to-comprehend 1.5 terabytes of RAM, 4 terabytes of SSD storage, and 4 AMD Radeon Pro Vega 2 Duo GPUs, assuming you can afford one. Add in a Pro Display XDR monitor, and a Pro Stand to go with it, and you're looking at a workstation that could clear $50,000. Keep in mind, too, that these estimates are based on market prices for these or similar parts. Apple historically has charged more for its pre-built configurations than for a computer you'd build on your own." End quote. When you go through airport security, there's one line where the TSA agent checks your ID and another line where a machine scans your bag. The same thing happens in enterprise security, but instead of passengers and luggage, it's end users and their devices. These days, most companies are pretty good at the first part of the equation where they check user identity, but user devices can roll right through authentication without getting inspected at all. In fact, 47% of companies allow unmanaged, untrusted devices to access their data. That means an employee can log in from a laptop laptop that's had its firewall turned off and hasn't been updated in six months or worse, that laptop might belong to a bad actor using employee credentials. Collide finally solves the device trust problem. Collide ensures that no device can log into your Okta-protected apps unless it passes your security checks. 
Plus, you can use Collide on devices without MDM, like your Linux fleet, contractor devices, and every BYOD phone and laptop in your company. Visit collide.com slash ride to watch a demo and see how it works. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash ride. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you ka-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did-we-just-hit-a-million-orders stage. Shopify's there to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify transformed ResumeWriters.com from the spaghetti code backend I cobbled together in college to the world-class commerce platform it sits on today. And Shopify can do the same for your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash ride, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash ride now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash ride. Sort of in a similar vein to what we were just talking about, to disrupting the ad surveillance market, Firefox today announced that it will now block third-party cookies by default. What's more, it's bringing its lockbox password manager to the desktop, but let's go back to that blocking cookies because that's the more interesting thing. Quoting VentureBeat, if you download a fresh copy of Firefox today, enhanced tracking protection will be on by default as part of the standard setting. That means third-party tracking cookies are blocked without users having to change a thing. You will notice enhanced tracking protection working if there is a shield icon in the address bar. If you click on the shield icon and open the content blocking section and then cookies, you'll see a blocking tracking cookies section. There you can see the companies listed as third-party cookies and trackers that Firefox has blocked. You can also turn off blocking for a specific site. If you already have Firefox, Mozilla will be rolling out enhanced tracking protection by default in the coming months. You can turn it on yourself sooner by clicking the small I icon in the address bar and clicking on the gear on the right side under content blocking. Or you can go to preferences, privacy and security, and then content blocking, choose custom, mark the cookies checkbox, and select third-party trackers, end quote. This also got lost in the shuffle of news yesterday, and you're going to need to buckle up because it's gross and Maybe turn the podcast off if kids are currently listening to it. But it's important that this be addressed, so forgive me, but we need to talk about YouTube. According to the New York Times, in a piece published yesterday, researchers have found that YouTube's recommendation algorithm is apparently curating home movies of unwitting families into a catalog that seemingly sexualizes children. The piece opens with the story of a family that uploaded pictures of their kids playing in a backyard pool. They were shocked to discover that the video suddenly had 400,000 views. Now, before we go any further, I want to stipulate that there are dark, dirty, horrible corners of the internet. There always have been. And any platform that operates on the internet 
some section of that platform is inevitably going to have the worst people in it. But this is different. Quoting from the piece, YouTube had curated the videos from across its archives, at times plucking out the otherwise innocuous home movies of unwitting families, the researchers say. In many cases, its algorithm referred users to the videos after they watched sexually-themed content. It's YouTube's algorithm that connects these channels, said Jonas Kaiser, one of three researchers at Harvard's Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society who stumbled onto the videos while looking into YouTube's impact in Brazil. That's the scary thing, end quote. YouTube never set out to serve users with sexual interests in children, but in the end, Mr. Kaiser said, its automated system managed to keep them watching with recommendations that he called disturbingly on point. Users do not need to look for videos of children to end up watching them. The platform can lead them there through a progression of recommendations. So a user who watches erotic videos might be recommended videos of women who become conspicuously younger, and then women who pose provocatively in children's clothes. Eventually, some users might be presented with videos of girls as young as five or six wearing bathing suits or getting dressed or doing a split, end quote. Okay, so as I warned you, this is gross, but we need to deal with this because this is not an isolated incident. I apologize, but I have sort of steered away from this. Otherwise, I'd be doing segments like this every day. But do you know the amount of stories that have come across my transom lately that have had the same common denominator? Literally, the amount of stories that I could pull from just in the most recent months that have been raising alarm bells about YouTube's recommendation algorithm. Yet another mass shooter whose mind was poisoned by YouTube videos, or white supremacists or anti-Semites radicalized by YouTube videos, people turned on to anti-vaccination propaganda by YouTube videos, an investigative report on people that believe the earth is flat, and every single person interviewed in the piece saying they got turned on to the idea by going down a rabbit hole of YouTube videos. It's all because of the recommendation algorithm. It's an algorithm designed to juice engagement, and seemingly the most surefire way for engagement is shock, or disgust, or controversy, or anger, or something. In short, the dark side of the force. When we talk about tech fraying the edges of our society, Facebook has gotten all the headlines. Mark Zuckerberg has been trotted before Congress. Screen time overload is blamed for a whole range of ills. Google is chastised for selling our data to all and sundry. But YouTube's algorithm, specifically its recommendation algorithm, that's the true atrocity at this moment in time. And when we talk about bad design in tech, designing for engagement, designing for addiction, serving up more content and more content and more provocative content and more provocation, just in the service of running more ads, this is what we're talking about. This is the worst, most cynical example of this type of behavior and business model in tech right now, because it is all of it about greed. YouTube swears there is no rabbit hole effect, but it's time we call BS on that. Just yesterday, just yesterday, the same day that the story I just told you about landed, the New Republic had a different story about a cult, the foundational belief of which is that a race of sentient, devil-worshipping, shape-shifting reptiles from outer space has infiltrated human civilization. Guess how that cult is spreading? Of course, YouTube. Link in the show notes if you want to learn more about that particular horror show. Look, 
Google is a company, as we've discussed, that might be hitting the proverbial wall when it comes to the money it can squeeze out of ads. We don't know to what degree YouTube is a supplement or solution to that problem because they don't break out numbers for YouTube. And I also get it. The viral nature of YouTube's system is foundational to what has made the site successful. It's how you get a Lazy Sunday or a Charlie Bit My Finger or a Justin Bieber or a Logan Paul. Disrupting the viral nature of the site would break what YouTube is on a fundamental level. But that doesn't change the fact that somehow the basic calculus on YouTube's recommendation algorithm is just wrong. Morally. If you start watching videos about bicycling and 20 minutes later you're being served up videos of shocking bike crashes, that is on some very basic level wrong. It's wrong because it's also what incentivizes YouTube creators to do increasingly bizarre stunts. Because they seem to have intuited what YouTube seems to want to deny, which is that the algorithms like the dark stuff, the shocking stuff, the wrong stuff. Why can teenagers figure this out but YouTube can't? Like the YouTube star who was sentenced to 15 months in prison for filling Oreo cookies with toothpaste and feeding them to a homeless man on camera so that he could serve it up to YouTube and go viral. Again, this is a story from just yesterday. Again, link in the show notes. Anyone that works at YouTube, this is what you are morally complicit in on some level as the system currently exists. Googlers like to organize for change within their company, and that is commendable. Well, start here also. Fix YouTube's algorithm. It is, as I say, one big thing that is fraying the very fabric of our society, and it's something that can be fixed. YouTube has mostly successfully combated terrorist propaganda videos for years. So you can fix the recommendation algorithm. Fix the algorithm because it's possible to do so. It will cost you revenue, and it will require you to rethink how YouTube works on a very basic level, but it's the right thing to do. The only reason I can see not to work on fixing this is cold, cynical greed. More money from ads. And anyone in YouTube management that continues to deny or obfuscate or stonewall this should be, at the very least, shamed and shunned out of polite society. There's usually a big news hangover after WWDC, and today was no exception. But so much was going on yesterday, even outside of the WWDC keynote, that it really did require that we pause and take the lay of the land today. Hopefully we'll get a normal news day tomorrow so we can get back to business as usual. Sorry for the show posting late last night, but what can I tell you? That keynote went two and a half hours. Like, I like to have the show edited by 3.30. And by 3.30 yesterday, we were just getting started writing the Apple segment. More civilized is when people hold events that start at 11 a.m. Eastern. Anyway, hope you understand and talk to you all again tomorrow. Tomorrow.